everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Posting Up with Keith Smith and Adam Taylor. If you're not used to who we are, Keith is the legend on my right. I am the non-legend on the left. We're coming back for our second episode of Posting Up. Before we jump into this, how are you doing today, Keith? How you been? It's been a week. I'm doing good, man. Yeah, it was, it was a holiday week here in the States. It was Thanksgiving, so uh, a little less basketball maybe than uh, some days. The schedule gets wonky, right, whenever there's a random day off because there was a couple of days with like 12 and 13 and 14 games and things like that. So, uh, But, yeah, it, it was it was a good uh, a week where we had a big soccer tournament uh, for, for the family this weekend that we, we were at uh, after Turkey Day. So all good. How about you on the other side of the pond? Yeah, so we didn't have Turkey Day. And, <laughs> uh, a few of my friends on, in the States were like calling me, FaceTiming me from the dinner table, like just rubbing my nose in it that there was like this mass amount of food. Um, so I was quite sad on Turkey Day. <laughs> I, I can see that a little bit. I mean, it's that that's that's kind 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 of a you know unique holiday to us. It's a it's one of those. And don't don't worry when, when we're doing this over the summer talking about free agency. I will be very happy to remind you about Fourth of July and the importance of that great day. That's okay. I love Hamilton. <laughs> as long as we can quote some lines from Hamilton, I'm all the way in. Perfect. I love Hamilton. I tell you who I don't love though. I have all right, who's that? Issue. I have a bit of an issue with the New York Knicks right now. So. A good friend of mine covers the Knicks, so I've been texting with him a little bit, Jonathan Macri. Mm. Um, I haven't watched as much of them as I'd like in terms of to really be able to pinpoint where their issues are, but I know enough that their defense, just with Julius Randle on the floor, their defense is significantly worse than with him off the floor. And like that's not just metrically, that's eye test-wise as well, right? Like yeah. He's overhelping, he's letting his man beat him. For a Tibbs team that when they made it to the NBA um, playoffs. Well, I was about to say finals, thinking we're talking Celtics then. When they made it to the playoffs two years ago, and Randall was their best player, it looked like they were building up to something, right? They bring mm-hmm. in Jalen Brunson this offseason to give them that extra creation spark, which they hoped Kemba Walker would have been last season along with Fournier. It's just not working. So I want I, one thing I really want to get your opinion on, and because I don't know how I can conceptualize this, is this a coaching issue, or is the roster just not there? I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think what happens with Tibbs teams is there's there's a pretty much we have a good history now. There's a shelf life. He pushes his guys really, really hard. He locks into his six, seven, eight guys and says, that's it. And I'm going to run with those guys and, and they're going to be my guys. They're going to play, you know, in the high 30s, sometimes into the 40s in minutes on a regular basis. And that, that's going to be how it goes. And I think the challenge that comes with that is then all of a sudden the teams wear out and you see it in year by the end of year two going into year three. And if there's a year four, uh, those, those teams are pretty well beaten down. I mean, we, we know Chicago bulls. There's, there's a lot has been written over the years of did guys like Derek Rose, well, dang, uh, Joe Kim Noah, did they have as long a careers and productive of careers as they should have had? Now that's a little tough, right? Because Rose is still playing. Noah played for, you know, a decade in the league. And, you know, so that's a little bit tough. But, but yeah, I mean, he wears guys down. So I think that is a problem. But I don't think the roster is super conducive to what he wants to be. I think he would be perfectly content to be the 15th best offensive team as long as his defense was in the top five and they could lock in and really play that way. That's just not where they're at. And that was part of the problem with last season, right? Was they came from being this, I wouldn't say elite, but high level defense. Mm-hmm. They make some moves to give you the offense, but obviously 
when you're going for offensive-minded guys, especially like Kemba Walker and to a lesser extent Evan Fournier, you do have that defensive kind of handoff. You, yep. It's very difficult to be able to construct a team full of two-way guys. Uh, that term is thrown around like there's millions of them out there. And re- yeah. in reality, there just isn't. <laughs> No, there's about 20 like, <laughs> really good ones, yeah. And they're all like max contract guys, right? So mm-hmm. like Absolutely. when you look at what they did, they like the front office kind of moved away from what Tibbs was successful with. And that kind of leads me into my thought process of, yeah, this roster isn't great, but what they need more is they need a coach that's more conducive to developing talent than trying to win games at the moment. And I know that's a step back from where everybody wants the Knicks to be, but they've been so good at collecting assets over the last few years. They seem to, you know, they, they got into the Donovan Mitchell discussions for a while, but they've been very judicial with what they give up in trades. So moving away from trying to compete right now, finding a, co- a coach and the name that comes to my head, which I don't think would be the best fit, but it's just a player development guy that's available, like a Kenny Atkinson, that could really give these guys the minutes and the, the rope to make mistakes and play through. That's how you're going to get Emmanuel quickly, how you're going to get Grimes, how you're going to continue to build on RJ Barrett that's take, slowly taking the steps he needs to take and then have a long-term view to be a contending team rather than just doing what the Knicks do and trying to turn things around in two, three years and failing every time. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on that. First is that their team building last offseason or two off seasons ago i don't want to confuse it so two off seasons ago when they picked up fournier and walker fully got the idea of all right in the playoffs it didn't go well uh, the hawks really you know built a really great game plan to kind of force julius randall into tough looks which he repeatedly took didn't make and they were out early I think what they did, though, was when you add those guys, what you always have to keep conscious of is, are we moving away from what made us special? And what made them special was they were a great defensive team. And they moved away from that in the attempt to to improve the offense. And if you don't improve the offense by at least as much as you kind of weakened the defense, you're going to you're you're not going to be very good and now that's that's the problem that's why they they dipped back last year that's why this year they're kind of just mulling around 500 because now what you've done is you're you're not a great defensive team anymore but you're still kind of only a middling offense and that's that's really tough i mean they take the 10th most three pointers per game in the league and they are dead last in three point shooting so cool i guess that you're generating those looks but are the right guys taking them i mean they're they they have between barrett brunson and randall you've got let's see those three guys i'm just trying to do do a little bit of math here on the fly they're taking 16 three-pointers a game and randall is the best and i'm putting that in air quotes shooter of that mix at 33 percent. like that's just tough now brunson's That'll pick up. I I think we've got enough history to believe that'll that'll come up some. Uh, But Barrett, he's under 30%. He's not generally a pretty good shooter. And I'm a big RJ Barrett guy. Um, So that's that's what's tough. And I don't know that Tibbs has the offensive creativity to create a better offense than what they're running with. Now, to your second point of do you need a coach that can develop the talent? Yes. Because you've held on to all these young guys, you've held on to your draft picks, you didn't trade for Donovan Mitchell, you did all those things. But your challenge there is you signed Jalen Brunson to a $100 million contract. Perfectly fine with, by the way. No issues with that Jalen Brunson contract whatsoever. 
but you can't then turn around and say, all right, we're moving to development mode because now you've got him. You've still got Julius Randle for a couple more years. You've got Barrett on his new big contract. So it starts to be you. You've now got kind of competing agendas. And I, I don't think they made the wrong decision to push in after they made that, that playoffs a couple of years ago. I just think they did it in the wrong way. And that's, that's the lessons in team building. And part of that for me is you went for too many ball handling scorers yes. rather than guys that can play off the ball, right? Yeah. Like Kemba's ball dominant. Evan Fournier, in my mm-hmm. opinion, needs the ball in his hands as like a secondary pick and roll. Yeah, there's guy. not a three and D guy. Exactly. Yeah. Roster. There's a, yeah. and no Sam Hauser, Duncan Robinson type guy mm-hmm. out there that can just be a catch and shoot threat for you. Yeah. So now it's like, hey, we're going to keep firing passes to guys to shoot threes, but they're not in rhythm because they're taking threes outside of their skill set. So New yep. York is going to be interesting for the rest of the season. They're always interesting. I'm sure we're going to circle back to them at some point <laughs> soon. But I want to look at something you mentioned, and that was not taking away more than you're, t- you're getting back in a different area. So if you're taking away offensively, you want to bring that defense up so you level out, right? And mm-hmm. another team that has done that over the offseason, and we'll see in the downside of that at the moment, is the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, Kevin the other way. Yep. And, uh, you know, Huerter in Sacramento right now, uh, I think it was Kevin Durant was like, he's playing like Steph Curry at the moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really is. You lose Gallo. Obviously, Gallo is not playing right now, but he was a big like catch and shoot threat for them. Didn't really give you much else, but he gave mm-hmm. you scoring. And in return, you bring back DeJounte Murray. And all of a sudden, when I looked the other day, I think they probably played against it. So the numbers might be a little off. But when I looked the other day, they were 26th in three-point percentage and 30th in three-point attempts. This is a team that was trying to be the baby Warriors up until last mm-hmm. season. They, they'd built around Trey and Hunter and Huerta, and they were just a very perimeter-based offense, but they had no defense. They bring in DeJounte Murray, and it just doesn't seem to have gone well. It feels like they've overcorrected a problem that was there. Yeah, completely agree. And, and to kind of expand on your your – Stats there, and they, they haven't changed enough that it matters. They're now down to 29th in three point attempts, um, per game at 29.7, but they are second in the league in field goal attempts per game, period. So that tells you they've taken the three ball almost completely out of the mix. Um, 20, 33 point attempts per, per game, right? We, we both part of our other gig is covering the Celtics, that's like a half for the Celtics some nights, you know, they, they're going to get up the three pointers. So, I mean, you're only taking 30 per game and you've got Trey young, like Trey young is let, let me make, I just, before I say something completely silly, yeah, 7.4, three point attempts per game. I want Trey young taking 10 minimum per, per night. I, you know, I, I just say, think that's the right way. So what you've done is you've transitioned into that. They're kind of this mid range team now, which is oddly enough, they've taken on, a lot of DeJounte Murray's, uh, you know, temperament there. That's the shot he wants to get to. And he's very, very good at that shot. He knocks that that down with regularity um, now. But, like, it feels like maybe Trey Young has sacrificed a little too much. I know we're both in complete agreement. Like, it's malpractice what's happened with John Collins. Like, he's might as well not even be out there on the offense. And there's times when I think John Collins just get the rebound and then just hang out around half court. So at least you're back on D because there's nothing there. But, the Murray trade, the idea was second on-ball creator, guy who could could do some stuff with the ball in his hands, ease that burden on Young, also a great defensive guard, one of the better ones in the league. So we're going to really improve our defense and really fix that into the floor. But, it, but opposite of the Knicks, 
you you've improved your defense, but not enough. And you've really downgraded your offense and that, that becomes a challenge. And again, another team, that's why you're sitting right around 500 and kind of hanging out there at 11 and nine, instead of, you know, being, you know, I don't know, something like what, 13 and seven, 14 and six, something in that range. The other thing is, as well, it's not just malpractice, what they're doing with um, John Collins. It's basically everybody not named Trey and Murray. Yeah. like uh, Both Trey and Murray are sitting in the top 20 for isolations per game. Mm-hmm. I think Trey was around about 11th and Murray was around about 17th, um, just after they lost to the, to the Rockets over the weekend. Um, and I was just sitting watching that game and I went back and watched it twice because one, Jalen Greens, we'll get to him in a bit. I just love the game. <laughs> and two, just because it was so much fun. But I was like, man, it is Trey and Murray are looking for each other, but they're not looking for anybody else. Yeah. And it, it did feel like, you know, Collins it does feel is, that way at times. Yeah. And Collins is the biggest loser there. We can agree there. But I think DeAndre Hunter is another guy that could be more impactful with touches. I think, um, you know, you're seeing AJ Griffin kind of force his way in once there's no one of Murray or Young aren't there. But they yeah. have offense there. They're just not playing within the team. They're playing to, to themselves. It's a duo, and they only care about that duo. And maybe it will grow, but right now it's not, it's not great basketball. No, it's really not. And they're, they're a tough watch. We 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 talked a little bit about teams that are fun to watch and teams that are tough to watch uh, off air before we started. And they're a tough watch. They're they're like I, I just I you know but mostly I because I love John Collins so much. I find myself getting super frustrated um, with that. He's down to ten shots per game. Like that's you know ridiculous. And Murray and and Young are taking forty between the two of them. And Trey Young, you can't be taking twenty two shots per game and shooting forty percent from the field. It's just, that's going to be destructive. It, it's, it's, it's interesting. We talked about Kemba signing with the, uh, with, with the Knicks and, you know, being a guy who needs the ball a lot, Trey young, much better passer than Kemba Walker ever was in his Hornets days. Um, he's one of the best passing guards in the entire league. Um, but it's starting to look a little bit Kemba Walker, like where it's, I got to create everything. And then I'm going to take, you know, bad step backs and, you know, 35, 40 footers just because, and those are great. And they're fun when they're going in, but when they're not, it's, it's just bad basketball, as you said, and and they're not getting a lot out of their bench. It's, it's very hit or miss. They really need, I think Bogdan Bogdanovich back. I think he's just such a, such a, um, you know, settler for them. Like he gets in there they, they can really let him kind of do his thing. But, but yeah, this is an interesting one where, you really swapped Mari for Herder. That's essentially what you did. And there's the, the very different way that, that you kind of look at it. Uh, you know, it's been tough for the Hawks for sure. And it's not like Quartz is not a good secondary creator. Himself. No, he's a better ball handler and passer than he ever got credit for. Yeah. And I think that we're seeing that now over in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing now is Murray probably needed the ball in his hands a little bit more than what Atlanta realized or yeah. what they game planned for. And now it is just, you take a turn panned in the air at the rock, I'll take a turn panned in the air at <laughs> yeah. the rock. Very little flare screens. Like if you've got a guy like Young, you want him, he, he doesn't have the ball in his hand, set some flare screens, let him catch the ball, move, try and get yep. him into the slot, ask him to slot drive, do something creative. And we're just not seeing that at the moment, which is a pain. That, that leads me on to e- another team. Even, oh. sorry, too, just one other thing, just to close the door on this. You mentioned all the isolations. Run more two-man game. 
Collins and Capella can handle it. I think even Hunter, you might get some stuff out of that. Even if you run guard guard actions with Murray and Young, I'd be okay with a little bit more of that. I think a Kongwu is kind of underused as a role man. I think he can do do potentially some interesting stuff in that role. But yeah, it's a lot of screen uh, pull back and then attack, you know, and trying to attack those mismatches. And right now it's sending in a lot of clanked jump shots. I'm looking back at the Kings again, just to kind of help close the door on this conversation. One of the ways they're getting the Aaron Fox and Huerta and everyone great looks is by using Sabonis as that like mm-hmm. post-entry pass guy and then curling yeah. off him or split-cutting off him and yeah. having those DHOs take place. Cummins is more than capable of playing that role. He probably doesn't have the the passing vision to be able mm-hmm. to hit guys on back cuts. But if you're just split-cutting off and you've got the choice of the handoff or the reset towards the top of the perimeter and defenses are in rotation. It's another way to utilize a guy that is also a great role man that can slip and be a lob threat. Yeah. And that it's just, it is a lack of creativity. You, you get, uh, Mike Brown has obviously brought a lot of the Warriors dream on green actions uh, to the Kings but with Sabonis as the facilitator there where yeah he's he's really running things from the top of the key you know a lot of like you said handoffs those, those uh, you know screen back I call them screen backs where you set it one way then you immediately flip it and set it the other way um, what I like with Collins is because he's definitely not the passer green or Sabonis are but I think what I trust with him is what you do is, especially if you cut hard downhill off of those plays, the big almost is going to instinctively step back. And I like Collins in turn face and shoot the jumper. Yo, maybe, yo, and, it, and if at this point in his career, if he can't successfully do a dribble handoff or even just a straight handoff, well, that's a whole other issue that you're running into there. But but there, there's more there. You could get a little bit more creative, but that's never really been Nate McMillan's strength as a coach is, you know, getting creative with, with those offensive looks. It feels like he needs an offensive coach to kind of really look at this personnel and diagnose it. Because first two teams we talked about here, Atlanta and New York, the personnel is probably not going to change very much, at least not for the rest of this season. So you got to start to figure out better ways to use what you've got. And sometimes just adding a coach to the bench is a good option. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to, I don't want to hit the Celtics too much as like a reference, but you look at what Ben Sullivan's done with Derek White yeah. as a shooter and yeah. the impact that's had to the Celtics and how they space the floor. Just bringing in somebody that could, as you say, like not even revolutionize, but just restructure the way the offense is run could be the difference between being a playing team and being a sixth or seventh seed and actually having a chance in the playoffs of getting into that second round. Yeah, I com- com- completely agree. And man, you know, just some Celtics related again, Will Hardy last year, you know, really had his hands all over uh, Boston's offense and get- getting them moving. So yeah, co- completely agree. Another team that we've been talking, we were talking about coaching. I like the segues we're coming up with here. I like to point <laughs> out the segues because they're hard to do. So I want people to appreciate them. Uh, we're talking about like we plan this out, right? And like, I know, right? Like, or something. I mean, we know what we're coming in to talk about, yeah. but the way we kind of connect them together, it's like Lego need to give us a job. Perfect. Um, Here it is. I love it. <laughs> Welcome to Posting Up, sponsored by Lego on <laughs> Right. Um, yeah. Or at least send us some Lego sets. I'd be cool with that too. Uh, just as an aside, I'll send you a link later. My brother-in-law does, um, he creates Lego photography out of just Lego sets. Nice. And, uh, they're really cool. So I'll send you some pictures All over. Right. I'm gonna, uh, yeah, I want to see that. Talking about coaching, as we were, a, another addition to a different team's bench has been the cha- a change. It's been a head coaching change rather than just bringing a specialist in to try and revolutionize. And that's 
losing Steve Nash and bringing in Jack Vaughn or Jack Vaughn. And since that happened, up until the point where I kind of done the dive on them, they've gone seven and six through November. I think they've played again since I've done this. Um, but, you know, at the same time, they're around about 500. They're playing a little bit better. There's a little bit more rhythm to what they're doing, but mm -hmm. their depth is an issue, right? It's very much, and KD said this when Kyrie was hurt, you know, there's a lot of guys there that aren't legitimate rotation guys on a championship caliber team. As much as that's kind of unfair to say, it's true. Do you think that at the minute they need to make another move to bring guys in? Like, is this the team that could contend just because of the top-level talent they've got at the top of the roster? I just think there's so many questions around Brooklyn right now. Yeah, I think if you're starting with Durant and Irving as your starting point, uh, sure, you're going to have availability questions. Is you know, is uh, did, one is either one going to be healthy uh, the rest of the year? There's long injury histories with both of those guys. Um, or your other thing is is something going to happen that takes Kyrie out of the lineup again? Um, we've seen this now several years running uh, that he just. There's time that he misses. So, you know, hopefully that's done for this year and he's able to stay on the floor and uh, kind of do his thing. Now, I like some of their depth. Uh, Curry and Harris as shooters, you, you know, I, I don't know of another team that can even come close to matching that off their bench for two guys shooting wise. I mean, those two are you know, two of the best guys in the league and they're a great fit in lineups with Duran Irving because they're experts at playing away from the ball and getting into space and those kind of things. I think their challenge is their front court depth is abysmal. I mean, Markeith Morris is like playing a key role for them. And that just shouldn't be at this point in the year. Now, TJ Warren's going to come back, but TJ Warren is not coming in and unlocking lineups where all of a sudden all right, we go against a team with a really good big, like you go against Philly with Joel Embiid. You have not, you have Nick Claxton and pray, right. That Embiid tires himself out or gets, you know, rolls an ankle or something, you know, gets in a foul trouble, whatever it is. Um, and that's not entirely fair because you probably, you know, 25 teams have that same issue against Embiid, right? There's very few teams that have, you know, more than, you know, one or two guys they can throw at him. But I think that's where, where their issue is. I just, I think it's a little weird, but it's going to be hard for them to add depth without giving something good up. Now they've done a better job with their three max guys in Durant, Irving and Simmons of building out their roster around those three guys. Cause they've, they've kept Harris. They've, they've got Curry. You've got Claxton. Um, you've got Royce O'Neal. They've, they've built up a kind of stack of mid range tradable contracts. I think the guy who's most likely to get moved in any deal from them is Patty Mills. Justin feels super redundant, especially if you feel like Kyrie's going to be there. He doesn't really play. He's not in the rotation now. Uh, wasn't in the rotation even when Kyrie was out. They were going to Edmund Sumner and Cam Thomas over him. And at about $7 million, that's that's a decent chunk of matching salary. So I think if they're going to do anything to upgrade, but they're probably going to get TJ Warren back, uh, see what that looks like, and then kind of go from there. But that that that's that's my only real depth concern with that team. My other concerns is they just they don't defend anybody and i just other than ben simmons i don't see anybody who really wants to even royce o'neill's defense has slipped big time and i think we're starting to see there was some covering going on for him with rudy gobert as he's done for a lot of guys over the years and this is one of the bigger issues right is like you look at simmons 
for all of his offensive drawbacks, and and I, I think they are very overstated because I still think he's a very impactful offensive guy, like yep. as a screener, as a passer. They're using him in the elite passer. Like, he's one of yeah. the best passers in the entire league. He's he's ridiculous as a driving kick guy. You can see over the top. They're using him as like um a donker spot, low post creator as well. Mm -hmm. They're really leaning into that passing, but the defense alone, one high level, close to elite, if not elite point of attack defender, can only do so much. You know, you can't split him across five guys. No, and as you say, Royce O'Neill was brought in as that three and D guy to try and be their wing stopper. It's not really working there. Yeah. Durant. He feels like he's in that LeBron phase of his career where it's like, hey, I'll turn on my defense in the playoffs. But until then, like, I'm conserving energy. Like, you mm -hmm. know, I'm, I'm getting up there in age. Kyrie's never been a high-level defender. Claxton's a great rim runner and a rim protector. But he's, you know, if you get him locked on your hip, then he's just going to be fouling you all day long. Yeah, he's a foul machine. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do think that defense could be an issue there. And there's not really any free agents out there that could come in and help shore that up either uh, defensively. So I, I'm not seeing them as a championship team yet. Obviously, there's still time. We, we've seen teams turn it around in the second half of the season. And there's always a move out there that you didn't see coming. But right now, I think uh, Jack Vaughn's kind of going to be looking at next year, waiting for this summer to just make those tweaks to add the defensive pieces, but then you need to retain Kyrie if you want to. If not, you need to find a replacement for that level of talent. Then you need to see where KD is and can he stay healthy? It's just, just too many questions for me. That I, I have them, like, the, I titled this episode at the Eastern Conference Outsiders, and we're talking about Brooklyn, so that obviously shows where I am with Brooklyn right now. Yeah, I, I, I mean, they're 10 and 11, they are only a couple games behind Indiana, who's surprisingly still hanging in there in fourth. So for them to get into the top six, not no surprise if that's how that plays out. Like, I think we can uh, all agree that that's like, all right, yeah, there's a good chance that'll happen. But, you know, to climb into that Boston, Milwaukee tier, even Philly, um, you know, they're right behind Philly, but just. Philly feels like when they're healthy, they're just going to be better um, with, with that, assuming they, they get and stay healthy. So that's my, my, my challenge with Brooklyn, but that's oddly enough. That's exactly where I kind of had them at the beginning of the year was I had them behind Boston, Milwaukee and Philly. And I looked at it and kind of said, well, I, I guess fourth feels about right because I don't know where else to put them. And I said at the time, as I said, I don't know that this is where they actually finish because it's either going to go great and they'll finish in that top grouping and be right there and it'll be a, a tier of four teams in the East or it's going to go really, really poor. They'll be much lower and they'll be kind of a mess. And so far that's what they've been. But yeah, you know, maybe, maybe they do still get in there and finish this top 16. Wouldn't surprise me. Who would you be more scared of if you was an Eastern Conference contender drawing your first round matchup in the playoffs? Would you rather draw Brooklyn or would you rather draw Cleveland? Are both teams healthy? We're, we're assuming oh, yeah. you know, all full health all around. Everybody's got their best players Cleveland. available. You'd rather yeah. draw Cleveland. Yeah, just because going against Duran and Irving, I mean, those two guys can win a game or two by themselves. And then you're, you know, now you're in a series maybe you didn't expect to be in. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I just want to. And that's no with... disrespect meant to Cleveland. I, I think Cleveland's probably, as far as being a real playoff contender, like they'll get into the playoffs, obviously, but and being a contender. real contender, probably a year away. Right? Yeah, you they, need, they need one more year of 
you know, putting it together. Evan Mobley development, Jarrett mm-hmm. Allen development, getting yep. comfortable with Donovan Mitchell and I'm yep. refing Cleveland today. But um, <laughs> so that I just wanted to ask because I know that at the moment a lot of people are really high on Cleveland and obviously yeah. regular season basketball is not the same as playoff yeah. basketball. It's a completely different type of game. Oh, very different. Yeah. I definitely wanted to get your thoughts there before we move on to our another to our first segment of the day. Real or not real? I love this segment because it's a nice kind of quick fire. So first one, Utah's been overperforming to start the season. Shout out to Will Hardy. Real or not real? Um, real-ish. I, they're, they're 12 and 10 now. They've lost four in a row. Uh, they, they, they're they're kind of after that great, great start. There, there's been some stumbles. Now this is their second uh, kind of losing streak in a row. I want to say they've lost like seven of their last nine, something like that. So uh, no well, the Pistons loss is a bad loss, especially since it was at home. But I don't know what got into Detroit at the beginning part of that that uh, little little road trip there. But uh, real-ish, I, I think they will as long as they keep their guys hang in the playing uh, picture. But I, I think the, all right, hey, this team might be a top six team. I, I feel pretty confident that's not going to happen. Sam Ray Allen Hauser, real <laughs> or not real? Hashtag Hausermatic, real. Uh, he's not not doing anything. He's not asked to to. They're not being asked to do anything he can't do. Get open and shoot. That's really all. Uh, really cool. I put this in the takeaways on Celtics blog. He had a couple plays off the dribble last night yeah. against the Wizards. He made made one uh, where he took took a dribble off a screen and hit a three, which is that's really new. Uh, then he uh, Will Barton had a really kind of messy contested a pass versus closing out to Hauser. Hauser caught him with his back turn, took a couple dribbles, got into the lane for an end one. So uh, yeah, I, I think Sam Hauser's good. You know, definitely for real. I like the house about them apples. That's kind of my go-to. <laughs> nice. I, I like that's that. a good one. Nice Boston so, tie there, too. That's, that's, that's well done. I like it. Victor Yama, real or not real? So I'm going to flip it. What do you think? Because I, I, I'll, I'll give my thoughts, but what do you think from what you've seen so far? I think it's real, but I also think that it's not going to be instant in the NBA. I think that we're going to see some good flashes over the first few months, but we're also going to... There's, I can I can easily imagine discussions happening where it's like, did we overrate this guy? Because I think that the physicality, the speed of the game, the the, in, the defensive intensity, like for all the dominance we're seeing from Wembenyama, we have to remember that the French league is like the fourth or fifth tiered league in Europe. There's like you know France, uh, sorry Italy, Spain, and Turkey are above them at least. Mm-hmm. So I think that the talent level there, going from the French League into the NBA, that's going to be an adjustment. But within 18 months of being in the NBA, I think we'll all be very comfortable in saying this is real. Yeah, I'm fully bought in. I think I think he's the best prospect since LeBron. I I, I don't like that's Anthony Davis, Zion, who I was super duper high on both of those guys. But I I really think uh, you know this this kid is just he's you know ridiculously special you don't at his size see guys that comfortable handling the ball 30 feet from the basket with the threat to pull up it never mind i mean no one can affect the jump shot no there's not a player in the league 
that, uh, you know, in meaning in the NBA that can challenge his jumper. Cause you just can't get to it. Um, I do think with what you said, like I look forward to the first time he goes against Joel Embiid and Joel Embiid just backs him into the cup and just, you know, hammers him into the stanchion on a dunk. And everybody's going to be like, you see, he's too small. He's too skinny, but you know, it's a, uh, and it's weird too. I think because uh, Chad Holmgren got hurt, there's now this like these skinny guys don't work. He's skinny, but he's not, he does. Holmgren looks weird, right? He looks too skinny. Wemanyama never stands out to me. He's like, he's way too, he just looks tall. He looks gangly. He looks a lot like young Kevin Durant when he first came into the league. So yeah, I'm fully bought in hundred percent real. I remember talking to Taka um, just before he left Boston and I asked him what he thought of everybody saying like he was a bit too skinny. And he was like, dude, I'm 300 pounds. Yeah. Like, it's I, just huge. Yeah. I'm just yeah. that big that 300 pounds distributed over yeah. seven foot looks thin. But in terms of like strength and muscle, I'm just the same. It's mm-hmm. just my, my frame is longer. So I'm not worried about like injury like that. I just think that the, the change in pace and the intensity. Sure. It's just going to be a learning curve. Now, I yeah. gen- I have no doubt that he's going to be a top four, top five guy in the league at some point in his career. And mm-hmm. we saw Giannis coming in. I know there's a size difference here, but we've seen the transformation Giannis underwent. And there's no, I know not everybody's going to be able to pack on muscle and distribute sure. body mass that way. But there's no saying that Wembenyana can't do that. We just don't know at this point. So no, I, I'm with you. I'm yeah, with you. and it's popular to beat up on Chris Tapp's Porzingis because he hasn't been what I think people hoped he he was going to become after those early uh, years with the Knicks. But I think the challenge is he's built somewhat similarly to Porzingis, but with a way better skill package than Porzingis has. And Porzingis, for all that people beat up on him, he's carved out a pretty nice career. He's, he's not a bad player. And, you know, so now you add similar build with a uh, you know better skill package yeah, so, you know, but we'll, 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 we can move on I have a feeling uh, we have many Victor Wembanyama conversations coming uh, in our future <laughs> we're going to get to Scoot Henderson at some point in the next week or two because oh, yeah, I want your thoughts there mm-hmm. um, last one I'm real on that is AJ Griffin so we mentioned him with uh, the Hawks he's kind of broke into that rotation he's had some nice games he's had some okay games do you think he's real or do you think he's just uh earning like he he's how can i put this he's kind of benefiting from the hawks lack of offense right now no i think he's real i think um it got a little bit forgotten because he got a little bit lost at duke this kid was a top prospect go going into that year at duke um he was thought to be one of the best guys in that draft class and and yeah you just get a little bit lost uh and that happens sometimes uh, the big programs duke kentucky kansas sometimes they bring in you know gonzaga's even now kind of in this boat too they'll bring in you know four or five guys in the same class and then somebody's gonna take a step back and i think that was a little bit uh, that was aj griffin but he can really play and this is a kid too he's nba pedigree right his dad was in the league for a long time i mean he can really really play you're seeing he's got great lift on his jump shot it feels like he's always square to the basket which is something i you know prize so much for shooters um i don't really care the angle you take to get there if you can get square as you're shooting it that's all that matters kind of to to i know you mentioned ray allen uh previous but that was ray allen's biggest thing uh he'd be flying you know towards the baseline catching the ball looked like he's sailing out of bounds and he was always able to get his shoulders square and, and get, get the ball in the net. So yeah, 
I like AJ Griffin. I, I think he can really play. And I think, um, you know, it's imperative that the Hawks keep giving him minutes. My fear is when Bogdanovich gets back, he's going to just disappear from the rotation entirely. And I, at that point, I, I, I don't like that. Then I think we're going to do stagger. Murray and Young a little bit more, split them. Uh, one goes to the bench early, uh, bring on Bogdanovich, and then when when uh, you're ready to go to the bench with the other guy, bring the other guy back, bring Griffin in. You know, you can really load up out there in the perimeter and get some stuff going. We're going to move on to eye catchers. Now, two of these I haven't seen enough of in the last week to know why they've caught your eye. One of them I've watched too much, which is why I haven't seen much <laughs> of the other two. Um, technically, I will put a fourth in here because I've watched him too much as well. So the first one you've put is a guy that I've been big on for a few seasons now. I think that, um, you know, he's kind of one of the better point of attack guards as a defender. I think his creation kind of gets overlooked a little bit. He's continually improving with his shooting mechanics. Is the Anthony Melton. So what has he done to catch your eye over the last week? Yeah, it's just a lot of it is he's playing a lot more. Uh, Philly's down, Maxie and Harden. Matisse Seibel's also been in and out of the lineup. Uh, Tobias Harris was out for part of it, and they kind of, out of necessity, said, all right, we got to put the ball in DeAnthony Melton's hands and ask him to do some stuff, and, and he's really doing it. I, I liked him uh, with the Grizzlies. Uh, I thought that was a kind of sneaky big loss for, for Memphis. Like, I get it. They had to rebalance their salary books a little bit and as they had to re-sign some other key guys, so fully understand why they made the trade. But Melton can play. He, he, he can do some stuff. And you know, in the last uh, about, let's say, two weeks, um, he's really stepped up. He's had a couple 20-point games. He's had a couple uh, high assist games for him, too. Uh, he's had – these are his last five games for steals, five, three, four, four, and three. Um, now, sometimes steals can be a super overrated if you're just chasing and running all over. It's not actually great defense a lot of the times. But I've watched it. It's that's not what it is. He's getting a lot of these off on ball, you know, picks. He's picking pockets and he's doing some stuff. He's he's tough. He'll drop down in there, uh, dig down on guys as they cut or they drive, or especially as they spin out of the post. Um, and they, they're helping more because Embiid's been out too. So yeah, I think Anthony Mellon's played really, really well in the last couple of weeks. Now, the reason that I haven't watched much of Melton, Melton or this next guy is honestly, I just find both teams start to play quite boring. Um, and I, I kind I of can argue with that. <laughs> I kind of tell myself that I'll watch them when they're playing teams I enjoy watching, and then I'll pick up on the stuff there. And that leads me to the other team, which is Miami, which is mad to say, considering Spo is one of the best X's and O's coaches in the league, and I love X's and O's, but they're just not constructed great right now. Nikola Jovic is the guy that's caught your eye. What has he been doing to make you kind of sit up and take notice? Yeah, it's just that he's playing and, and he's and he's playing okay he's holding his own he's one of the younger players in the league uh right now i believe uh, let me double check and make sure yeah he's only 19 doesn't even turn 20 until the end of the year until june so um so yeah so he, he's really starting to starting to see some minutes starting to do some stuff uh for for the heat um it's a, it's a major, major position of need. They don't have anything at the four um, on that roster at all. Um, you know, they, they early when they were healthy, they were kind of getting by with Jimmy Butler and, and Caleb Martin. I think their plan was going to be Omer Yurt seven was going to play a lot, play Bam at the four. And that's how they were going to fill that spot in. Uh, Yurt seven's obviously out long-term with it, with an ankle injury. Um, so they turn to the kid and he's, Done okay. He didn't play in their last game, but games before that, I think he'd started six or seven games in a row. Um, and he's just 
kind of hanging in there. And it looks like, you know, at the end of the first round, again, Miami has plucked yet another rotation guy, another contributor um, to that. So I've, I've just kind of got my eye on Nikola Jovic. I, I think there's something there for sure. How's he dealing with defensive rotations? That's usually for a raw guy like that. That's usually one of the biggest telltale signs of how they're going to go. Yeah, I think it's they do such a good job coaching everybody up. And then you've got guys like Kyle Lowry, who's as good as a coach on the floor as there is in the league. They're getting him in the right spots. So it's not a problem of him getting there. He's just slight. So he kind of gets, he'll get there. He'll get to the block to challenge, but he he just can't yet. Yeah. Like he's just guys kind of go right through him but you know he's not he's not real lost um there you know i think, think he can do some things thing i like is he doesn't shy away from contact right it's it's so funny i think there's this you you probably get this better than i do um and probably bothers you more than it bothers me but there's this like long-held belief that european players are soft right and that goes back to when I yeah, when I was watching the game and the Europeans were starting to come over, a lot of them were soft. They they didn't want to play through contact. Well, now it's changed. Right now, a lot of those guys come in. I mean, especially the the Serbian players, the Croatian players. They they want contact, right? They want to feel you and they want you to feel them. So he doesn't shy away from contact. He, he's very content to get in there and mix it up. And he's a tough kid, man. I he's not shooting it well. That's that's probably the the, the biggest challenge. They. He needs to quicken his release a little bit. He gets takes him a little too long to get into the shot. I think um, I think that's the the difference in in Europe. The 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 way the defenses are played, it's all about taking away the paint. So guys get longer release times on the perimeter. Or in the NBA, guys can take away the paint and close out because sometimes you're you're getting another guy, especially where he's a four. You're getting another six foot ten, six eleven guy like a Ben Simmons who can yeah, can help on the driver and still get back to the perimeter. So he's not getting those openings. And he looks a little rushed when he shoots, but but there's a player in there for sure. I mean, when you speak to European guys that have played in the NBA and gone back to Europe and one of the things they say is when you hear athleticism, you just think jump out of the gym. But when you're in the league, you realize, like you say, like guys can cover distance so quickly mm-hmm. because of that athleticism and their ability to change direction and their lateral movement. And I think that's something that does take time to realize and adjust to and to kind of that will naturally force your shot to speed. Yeah. So yeah, and that's that, exactly what he's running into. The last eye catcher I want to run, and I'm going to kind of tie this in with two of them because they've both caught my eye recently. So Jalen Green is unquestionably one of the most fun sophomores in the NBA right now. Like um, the the Rockets, from what I saw, oh, I've watched them probably three times this week. They love running him off ball, getting him onto the slot, and then just asking him to slot drive. Because he can just he can score off the bounce, he can soar above and get the jams, and he's a winning passer as well. So if you do take away the paint and there isn't really a shot there, he's going to be kicking out, and that ties into Jabari Smith Jr., who um, my God, what a rookie! That's just a catch and shoot three point machine can can uh, rebound with the best of them. I think both of them have caught my eye for different reasons, but Jalen Green has taken a step. He's handling the ball a bit more. He's taking a few more shots per game, taking a few more freeze per game and usually when that happens you see the efficiency dip quite heavily at the beginning while they're getting used to the extra reps and then it'll trend back up but he's taken i think it's two or three shots more per game and his efficiency is exactly the same as last season which shows that he was ready to move into that bigger offensive role and once he does get used to that a bit more you're going to see that efficiency go into a a whole new stratosphere 
Yeah, I think with Jalen Green, when I watch them, I think what's been fun this year, a lot of young guards, they don't know how to use screeners. They 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 come up playing, especially in the U.S., uh, in the AAU environment, they come up playing with, I use my screener to get a mismatch, which then I pull back out and then I attack the mismatch. Um, so he's always been a pretty good off-the-dribble shooter. Um, he's always been able to get to his pull-up jumper. Now what we're seeing him do is he's using his screener, especially when it's Alper and Shingun out there, to get come hard off that screen, whether it's direct off the dribble or it come or he comes off the catch and then he attacks. And I think one of the things that they've done is they've slowed down just a little bit in the last couple of weeks. They were playing at this like breakneck pace, which was coming with, you know, 25 turnovers in some games and just the ball flying all over. We were joking before. It's like they were trying to involve fans in the concourse buying a hot dog like they're throwing the ball all over the gym so if you go to a Rockets game and you're sitting close to the floor you better be paying attention or you might get one off the dome but they've slowed down just enough that what I like with with this is it's allowing Kevin Porter to hit him coming off those screens they've got pretty good chemistry I like Jabari Smith Jr. I know a lot of people are down because he shot really terrible and those kind of things. He's running into the exact same problem he had in college. His guards don't they, – they, they're they good working with each other, Porter and Green are. They're not good working with others to, to get them great shots yet. It'll come. I think it's just two young guards that are figuring out. But that's what these games are about for the Rockets. They're, they're, they're a bad team, but it's about development. Find those little things, lock in on those baby steps. And and I, I think so. And I think it'll get there. And I think Jabari Smith Jr. starting to play. Brady's starting to starting to pick it up a little bit. You're starting to see. I think for him, it was just he was thinking through every single move, every single single thing he had to do. None of it was reaction for him. Now that's starting to come and just just play, and it'll be fine. I think that for me, the biggest things for me is he he seems more than willing to go into the paint and rebound, mm-hmm. no matter how big the crowd is. That's always something I look for with uh, bigger guys anyway. Like, how willing are you to? fight through and really absorb that kind of <clears throat> miles turner oh, sorry sorry <laughs> because it's true right like that's one of your key roles and i know uh, it's very easy for people to look at the the butt score to be like oh he got 10 rebounds what he also did was he killed 10 second chance possessions mm-hmm. that's where the importance is so being willing to do that as a young guy knowing that you're still trying to earn a role and an injury could really derail your chances of developing this year to, like, that says a lot to me about commitment and then offense, on offense that shooting mechanics just fluid like as you said he did think through some things I thought he passed up a couple of threes and then tried to drive closeouts and it's not really there yeah. yet but in terms of actual mechanics I like the shot I think it's fluid um, another Big guy, guy like, too gets good lift hard shot to get to yeah he'll, he'll be fine with that just want to give a shout out to Usman Garuba as well. I was big on him when he was in, in the draft process. Um, I'm still big on him. But no, Johnny, hey, if we're going to stick with Rockets, Alper and Shingun, man, I love that dude. You know, run more through him. They, yo, you can, we talked about at the very beginning of the show, using your big men as offensive hubs. Shingun can be that. You can run a lot of stuff through him because he can really pass. Um, he's really comfortable backing guys down. He doesn't have any kind of jumper. I think that's probably. Two, three years from now, we'll see him yeah. maybe that 10, 15, 20-footer. Uh, he'll, he'll start taking that on occasion. But, yeah, he, and guys who want to mix it up and get physical, he he all he wants to do is find contact and bang. Because I think kind of like Nikola Jokic a little bit, I think that's he's like, he, all right, if you're if you're pushing on me, I'm going to get you leaning, and then now I got you. Now, now you're beat. So one of the things that's changed for me in the Euro leagues that's developing this toughness now 
is one, there's been a lot more American influence in terms of players going over to the NBA, then coming back and bringing some of that yeah. NBA mentality with them. Plus now there's a lot more collegiate players that kind of don't get drafted or they they know they're going to go in the late first, early second and struggle to make, like stick with a roster that are just choosing to go to Europe and carve out a career there. And they're taking that American physicality with them. And I think the better leagues in Europe, the, the Spanish, the Serbian, the Turkish, the Italian, those leagues have all got so many American influences in there now that that toughness is just being ingrained in the development systems over there as well. And that's why we're seeing more of a translation over. That would be and, my main, that'd be my thought process. And funny too, talking as we did kind of to bring the show all the way back around, taking away from one thing to improve another. It's almost like they took away some of the shooting development for the bigs, right? It used to be every European big who came over could step out and shoot three pointers. Now you don't see that quite as much. It's, it's still, some of them can, but a lot more guys, it's about getting down inside mixing it up and being kind of rugged. So just, you know, it, it's all trade-offs, right? It's, it's, you know, very, very few guys come in with the full package. What I like is, and I don't watch nearly enough Euro league ball, mainly because I like, I, I like the NBA mm-hmm. um, and I want to live in America, not Europe. So <laughs> I need to focus on, <laughs> but the jokes aside, um, Every league has different, they like different things from their leagues, yeah. yep. you know. So, like when yep. you're looking at the Eastern European leagues, the Serbian league, um, I know Turkey's not technically Eastern Europe, but like the Turkish league, they like their bruising physical big men. As you start going over to the Spanish league, you know, they like Mark Gasol type bigs, bruisers that can score from deep, Italian, they like them to be a little bit more finesse. So, you, um, and you know, Semi Ojale is out there crushing it right now as well. Shout yeah, out Semi. Exactly. But that brings us to the end of the show. I mean, I think we did a little bit better. We cut off about eight minutes. Yeah, um, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> or we Everyone... won't, and you guys will just listen long. <laughs> yeah, you know. If you've enjoyed the show, make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. We'll, we are moving to we're moving to two times a week now, right? Uh, eventually, yeah. I th- think we're gonna. Get, I don't know if it'll be this week or next, but, yeah. but we're getting there. Well, we we're getting, getting there. We're slowly yeah. ramping up. Yep. Until then, make sure you watch lots of NBA. You can hear us talk about the amount of NBA we're watching. I promise to not watch so much of one team, but they've just got to be not fun <laughs> for me not to watch them. All right, everybody, have a great week, Keith. As usual, it's been a pleasure, man. Absolutely. Thanks. 